0: morning everyone this morning we wrap up our hebrew series and steve hasn't quite decided exactly what he's going to be doing next so what he really wants you to do is to hop on your computer or grab your phone and he really just wants you to flood his inbox with emails and his phone with text about ideas and thoughts about your thoughts about what he should be doing next um just kidding don't do that he might actually use the last couple of weeks that he's here to actually get me fired if you guys just flooded his inbox with emails so that's a joke don't actually do that um we are looking forward to uh what's coming up in the future even though we're not quite sure exactly what that's going to be um, we've got one announcement uh you will have noticed in your uh inbox in your email that Stephanie sent out uh, uh a message about this idea that we've had for building some sort of community here at Crestwick, even though we can't all gather together and it's called Chalk It Up. If you have no idea what that is or what that is supposed to mean, go check your email. And if you didn't get an email concerning it, um, just get in contact with Stephanie and she can send you the form. There is a deadline in terms of signing up for this activity thing that we've got planned. And I believe that is for tonight. Um, So please uh, sign up as quick as you can. And uh, we look forward to seeing uh, the kind of response that we get um, and how encouraging it can be for all of us to to do something together, even though we're not all together at the same time. So this morning, as we study and sing and pray again, uh, it is our prayer as uh, pastoral staff and as church leadership that you are encouraged and uplifted uh, because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us on the cross.
1: morning, Crestwick. Psalm 119 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. That's a theme throughout the Psalms. God is good, his love endures forever. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you constantly remind us that our love is always with you, that you are always with us, that uh, your love is forever and ever. Thank you, Father, whatever we are facing today, we have confidence in knowing that you are with us. Thank you for this. We ask this in the strong name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.
2: Well, good morning and welcome. Uh, This morning we are, Lord willing, going to be finishing our series in the book of Hebrews. So uh, it's been a journey of a number of months, uh, starting back in January, I believe. And certainly none of us would have thought that we would end the series with four months of exposition uh, recorded on an iPhone. Uh, But nonetheless, uh, the Lord knows these things and this is what we've had. So it's been a long journey, uh, very unique. Uh, Certainly I've never had to preach a series like this before, uh, given the circumstances and in this sort of format. So I trust that God has been gracious to us, though, to open his word. And that's always our hope, that God by his spirit will open his word. And that's what we trust in this morning as well. So we're going to be looking at Hebrews 13. Verses 20 through 25. Hebrews 13, 20 to 25. I'm going to read that passage for you now. Uh, This is the Word of God. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him, Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for in fact I have written to you quite briefly. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Greet all your leaders and all the Lord's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings. Grace Be with you all. Now, if you look quickly at verses 18 and 19 of this chapter, you notice that the author of Hebrews asks his uh, readers to pray for him. He says, Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. So he has asked them to pray for him. And now, in verses 20 and 21, he begins to uh, explain how he prays for them. Uh, He he offers up this prayer to God, this sort of uh, blessing prayer wish for them. And it starts by addressing the God of peace. Now, may the God of peace. One of the things that I think is is extraordinarily important for us to understand is that uh, all peace is rooted and grounded in God. So when the author here refers to God as the God of peace, he's not just saying, listen, peace comes from God, although that is, of course, true. He's also saying that peace is founded in God. All that God is, uh, all that his essential being is, uh, allows peace to exist in in a Hebrew Old Testament concept, peace has to deal has to do rather with sort of overall well being, uh, holistic health and balance and harmony. And so, if you're looking for wh- where are you to find that that perfect symmetry, where are you to find that perfect balance of of health and harmony and holistic well being and balance? Where will you find that? Well ultimately you're going to find it in god and so wherever you find peace which is not merely a lack of fighting but actually a, a very positive thing you know when we talk about peace nations uh, you know being at peace with one another we often ref- we often mean it basically in a negative way it, it, that is it, it's a negation we mean that they're just not fighting but for god peace isn't just not fighting Peace is a very positive, creative reality, which is uh, blessing and beneficial. And so we might think of Eden before the fall as typical of peace. The new heavens and new earth are going to be the home of peace. It's a matrix, a domain of peace and righteousness because of the presence of God. And so God is the God of peace. And, And as the author thinks about what we want our life to be like, As he thinks about prayer and blessing these people, it's very natural for him to refer to God, to address God as the God of peace. Now, what is he asking for God to do, this God of peace? Now, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus. Well, he still doesn't ask for anything. He's still modifying who this God is. He, he's still describing who this God is. This God is the God of peace. And this God of peace is the one who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus. Now, The eternal covenant here—it's probably uh, the new covenant. It's that covenant that Jesus inaugurated with his own blood. Uh, it's the covenant that this book has talked so much about. That Jesus, the great high priest of the new covenant, fulfilling, and we say this in Hebrews 8, fulfilling Jeremiah 31, that new covenant passage. Jesus Christ is the great high priest. He's the great king. He's the great sacrifice. He's greater than the temple, greater than the tabernacle, greater than than that entire order, greater than Moses, greater than the angels. Supreme and preeminent, he alone is The Son of God, in the highest possible sense, functional, that is, he does what the Father does, ontological, that is, he is the the same shared nature. He is the Son. And this Son sheds his blood. The book of Hebrews talks about this over and over again. He has shed his blood to bring about the reality of the new covenant where all of the covenant community has forgiveness of sins and everyone knows God from the least to the greatest. They've been given a new heart. They've been washed pure. This covenant is eternal because in the redemptive purposes of God, it was always in his mind, even before creation, but more so, the effects of the new covenant uh, go on forever and ever and ever. Uh, That is, because of what Christ has done through shedding his blood and and bringing into effect the new covenant, there are going to be repercussions all through through the history of the universe, that's true, but, but all through eternity to come what jesus did on the cross what jesus did for us is the is the pivot point of all of the universe and time itself through the blood of the eternal covenant he brought back from the dead our lord jesus and this is this is one of those package deals of course Uh, In the New Testament, the the gospel isn't just that Jesus died. It's that he died to shed his blood as an atoning sacrifice to pay for our sin. Uh, He he offered that, that atonement to God, acceptable and pleasing to him. And then through the power of his indestructible life, through the shed blood, he experiences resurrection. That is, God brings him back to life through his own shed blood. That's what the text is saying who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus. Well, how is it that that God can bring Jesus through resurrection through the shed blood of Christ? What is it about the shed blood of Christ that allows for resurrection of the one whose blood it was that was shed? Well, Jesus has the power of an indestructible life. And in sinlessly choosing to be a sinless substitute for the people of God, for that new covenant community. When he sheds his blood, he does so, not for his own sin, but for theirs. He dies on the cross to provide atonement for others. And because he himself is perfectly righteous... God is so pleased by this gift that Jesus gives of his own life to save others. That through the offering of Jesus, Jesus conquers death. And because Jesus is sinless, God is is in a sense authorized or validated or, or empowered to raise his son from the dead. It's a declaration. It's a vindication of Christ. It's a declaration that his death was substitutionary. His death was for other people, not for himself. He didn't die for his own sins. His life, his merit is eternal and infinite, unconquerable. And so through his sacrifice and bringing about forgiveness of sins through substitutionary atonement, God raises Jesus from the dead honoring him for the death that he died. Well, who is this Lord Jesus? Well, this Lord Jesus is that great shepherd of the sheep. This this sounds of course like John 10. You know the, the the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The Father gives him the ability to lay down his life but also to pick it up again. And so Jesus dies for the sheep to protect them and then is raised to life. He is the great shepherd. Now, you know, how does the death of the shepherd help the sheep? It, 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 to drop the metaphor, how does the resurrection of Jesus benefit us? Well, the resurrection of Jesus benefits us through what's referred to as union with Christ. That is, we are so united with Jesus that when he dies, we die. When he is raised to life, we are raised to life. We experience resurrection in his resurrection through union with him. Metaphorically, the sheep experience transcendent eternal life through the merit and resurrection Of their shepherd. Now, notice this though. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. This is really important to understand. I think there needs to be um, a significant correction in a lot of our Western churches with how we view the role of a pastor in the church, not least because of confusion that in my judgment exists through a misunderstanding of the shepherding metaphor. But here, that's a discussion for another day. But here, here's what you need to know. Ultimately, there is only one pastor of the church. Ultimately, there is only one king of the church. There is only one head of the body. There is only one great shepherd of all of his sheep. There is only one person who has a church, and that's Jesus The one who brought about the eternal covenant through His blood, and through His blood was raised from the dead. And so I say this as we finish our series in the book of Hebrews, and as shockingly, time just continues to go on so quickly, even in the midst of this pandemic. Now, when we stop and think, uh, you know, I, I believe actually. That you know today uh, marks four full months of Sundays where we haven't been able to gather. No one could have thought in March that we were going to have four months of Sundays where we were not going to be able to gather. And I'm personally very conscious, very aware of the fact that my time here with you uh, is limited. Not, I mean, it always is. Like, that's the other thing. I mean, all of our time with everyone is limited. It's, it's bounded by death. And we, we usually just tend to think that life will go on forever or that we'll always have one more day or, or one more hour. But it's just not so. But you know and I know that there's only a handful of weeks now before I'm going to be stepping down uh, as the pastor here at Crestwick. And I can leave, and you can certainly bear for me to go, is in a very, very real sense, I'm not your shepherd. I'm I'm not your pastor. Now, in another sense, of course, I have served in that role. But any human pastor in a church is always a pastor small p. They're always a shepherd small s, But there is a great shepherd, capital S. There there is a great pastor, capital P. And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you realize that for the vast, vast majority of church history, none of us have been alive? That, that, That through the vast majority of what Jesus has been doing with the church, absolutely none of us have existed? Oh, the Lord moves his people from here to there. He, he, he directs the flow of their lives. But but for 2,000 years of church history, there has been one great shepherd over his sheep, bringing them together, caring for them, watching over them, because he laid down his life for his sheep, and he is gathering them together into one fold, one shepherd, One flock. And all of these local churches are manifestations of that flock. But human pastors really are at best pale shadows, pale under-shepherds of the Great Shepherd. Do Do you do you know that the Great Shepherd actually actually died for you, actually laid down his life for you, provided atonement for your sins, experienced resurrection. I mean, put that on a pastoral resume. It's absolutely incredible. Your shepherd died for you. Your shepherd brought about through his shed blood this eternal covenant. Your shepherd has provided for the forgiveness of your sins. Your shepherd conquered death. And in union with him, you can conquer death too because he conquers it on your behalf. I know there isn't a lot to fear in terms of church life when that's your shepherd, when he's your shepherd. Pastors in this life, human under shepherds come and go. The Lord Jesus Christ is the great shepherd of the sheep forever. So trust in him, and he will take care of you. In verse 21, you finally, after all these modifiers, get to the request. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. Well, now what are we asking this God to do? We are asking him, To equip you with everything good for doing His will. We ask Him to equip us with everything good for doing His will. God can work in you to cause you to do what's good, to cause you to do His holy will. You can lean on Him, He can equip you, He can make you strong. He can equip you with everything good, so that you're not lacking anything. You get that great blessing, uh, the incredible uh, proclamation of Paul in Ephesians one three through fourteen, that that massive two hundred and two words sentence in the original Greek, and and it starts by praising or blessing God the Father. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? He's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Here, he can equip you with everything good. So you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. He can equip you for doing everything good. Uh, he can equip you for doing his will. He can help you. May he work in us what is pleasing to him. He can work in us his will so that we ourselves are pleasing to him and do things that are pleasing to him. Now, you know th- this is this is in a sense a shift where, yes, God is doing it, but the, but you're you're praying that God will do it, and, and so here at the church, yes, there there's one great Shepherd of the sheep, and he can equip you for doing what is good. He can work in you what is pleasing to him, but then you're supposed to do it. You are supposed to actually desire. To Do what is good. You're the one who goes and does what is good through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And, and so, as a church, you have this opera, you have this fantastic opportunity, actually. You know, COVID, I think, in some ways, this isolation has clarified what a little bit about what church life can be. And so we, we focus on Jesus, and we think about how we can bless and serve one another and start praying that God by his power will equip us to do what is good and what is pleasing to him and we can start doing it and 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 the church the entire church can be transformed through a longing to be equipped to do what is good and pleasing to God when you come together be conscious of the fact you come together under the leadership of the great shepherd of the sheep who and god can empower you to be everything that a sheep should be god can empower you to do what is good and pleasing to him this is through jesus christ that is every blessing we have comes to us through the work of jesus he has earned for us every blessing through His life, death, and resurrection. Then to whom be glory forever and ever, Amen. Some people connect that with God; that is, it's it's a benediction pronounced, it's a blessing pronounced uh, on the God of peace. Others connect it with Jesus Christ. Uh, the New Testament provides examples, obviously, of doxologies and and benedictions being pronounced towards God. Also. There are some that are pronounced towards Jesus. So either way, uh, it's fitting. I'm not quite sure actually which one it applies to most. Perhaps there's a bit of an ambiguity. You can apply it to either one. I'm not quite sure. But certainly, you know, through what Jesus Christ has done, he receives glory forever and ever, and we ascribe glory to him forever and ever. But of course, we also ascribe glory to God forever and ever. And so we we think about what God has done, we think about what Jesus Christ has done, and our response, I think that's what's important here, is our response is to return praise and blessing to God. We see how much blessing He has given us, and so we, in return, spontaneously give it back to God. Praise be. Blessed be. To Him be glory forever and ever. And then, the author, because he is Obviously, writing to a group of Baptists has to add his own, Amen. Whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So be it. May it be so. I agree. I agree. May God be praised. May God receive all of the glory. Having Said those things. He then addresses them in that special familial way, brothers and sisters. And he says, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for in fact, I have written to you quite briefly. I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation. It's sort of a way of saying, it's like a polite, almost Canadian way of saying, look. I've written this to light a fire under you. Pay attention to it. You know, bear with this word of exhortation. I'm exhorting you to run the race in response to all that Jesus Christ is and has done for you. Don't stop. Keep going. Bear with it. Listen to me. Heed me. And then I'd love to know if this is ironic or slightly deprecating. For in fact, I have written to you quite Briefly, he could have said a lot more. Just, just very recently, um, uh, some some have commented to me that uh, I I write long emails. Well, I'm I'm not quite sure if that's true. Actually, when you when you look at how long the Book of Hebrews is uh, in comparison. Uh, I feel that mine are actually really, really quite brief uh, in comparison to this book. Maybe it is that that every long-winded author or or speaker feels that they could always say more about a topic that they'd like to have written more. It says, listen, this whole letter, this whole letter, I've only written to you briefly, but pay attention to it. Take it hard. It's a word to inspire you and, and to push you to pursue excellence in Jesus. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. You know, I I, I like this because this is this is just part of that reality of of humanity. Timothy's someone they know, someone they care about. They 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 want to know the news. He's been released. He, he may be coming soon. The author of Hebrews may be coming with him. It's just news about people they know and people they care about. They're just keeping in touch. They're just being aware of each other's lives. Greet all your leaders and all the Lord's people. Now, The previous section, you'll recall there's a fair bit about leaders in the church. So now there's a special greeting for the leaders, and then greet all your leaders and all the Lord's people. It's still one group. Those from Italy send you their greetings. I have no idea uh, who those people from Italy happen to be. Uh, Perhaps the church in Rome. Um, But nonetheless, again, these these are people that they know, that they care about, and that they love. And the entire epistle... Ends, with grace, be with you all. That's always fitting, you know. It, it, you know, in our regular worship services here at the church, that I always end by saying, "Go in grace and peace." And during this COVID pandemic, I haven't said that all the time. In fact, I, I've, I've said it sort of rarely at the end of our messages. And part of that is because it seems odd, um, it's the verb that seems odd, uh, it, it seems odd to tell you to go when you're remaining somewhere in social isolation. So to say go in grace and peace, I always feel like, well, where are you going? Uh, you know, And to say stay in grace and peace doesn't have quite the same ring to it. But here it's grace be with you all. Grace and peace are always fitting blessings. And if you look at verse 25 and verse 20, you have that sort of those things together. That is, verse 20 starts with, may the God of peace, and then verse 25 ends with grace. Peace and grace go go together so very often. It's It's a typical sort of greeting by Paul when he addresses his churches. Grace and peace to you. Well, where does peace and where does grace come from? Well, it comes from God through Jesus. And so when I say, go in grace and peace, when the author says, grace be with you all, the assumption is that this is our blessing wish for your life. But I don't have the power, no human mediator has the power to give you grace or peace. Only God can. Only God can create that. In fact, that wholeness, that peace flows out of the grace of God. You can have peace because of the grace of God. And so to say go in grace and peace, even the flow of that is a recognition that the grace comes before the peace, at least in a logical sense, as a logical priority. Peace flows from God's grace. Go in grace and peace. However, in keeping with how our author ends his brief word of exhortation I'm not going to say go in grace and peace but I'm going to ask that the God of peace give you his grace. May the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our lord jesus that great shepherd of the sheep may he equip you with every good with everything good for doing his will may he work in you what is pleasing to him through jesus christ to whom be glory forever and ever amen grace be with you all
3: This mountain shall be moved